We're in Romans chapter 15 down to verse 6. He's speaking of unity. Verse 6 says, it was a continuation, so that we with one accord and one voice may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was speaking about unity and not breaking unity over trivial matters or minor matters. He wasn't talking about gross sin or anything like that. He was talking about questionable things that some Christians can do, and some Christians' conscience don't let them do it because they're not enlightened, and whatever is not of faith, the Scripture says, is sin. It's presumption. So a Christian, if he feels uncomfortable doing something, and he's not clear on the Scripture, he should not do it. If he does it, it's sin. Whether technically it is or not, it doesn't matter. God judges the motive and intent. He should have faith and assurance and his spirit should be enlightened by God's word. And when he sees that, then he has what? Liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Some don't. And he was talking about the Jews that came into Christ. They were still bound by a lot of the legalism, a lot of ceremony and ritual. And they were mixing with the Gentiles. So it wasn't like they were in Jerusalem, but they couldn't do certain things. And they felt it was wrong for the Gentiles to do it. And so Paul straightens them both out and basically says, leave each other alone. Unless it's a matter of a gross sin or obvious sin, leave people alone. He said, don't be a busybody into their affairs. Okay? So what is he talking about here? He wants us to be in unity, those who are true Christians. The unity is one accord, the mind of Christ, what he teaches. And fellowship is not, though, this is a fallacy today, but we live in the dark times. We live in the times where it's getting to be like Noah and Lot. So most professing Christians are not Christians. Most denominational churches and organizations as a whole are not Christian and are not based on Christian. They're not led of the Spirit and they're not following the Lord. But they believe a lot of doctrine, and but their heart's not right. And We need to understand what times we live in. So we cannot have fellowship with false Christians, those who are living and practicing gross sin. Of course, today, it doesn't matter. They run the churches as a whole, and nobody says anything about it. You just love them. Well, that's the fallacies of false teachers. So we can only be in unity with those who are walking with the Lord in the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. And it says, in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. So that's the one we have unity with. We cannot have unity with a false Christian. A Christian has fallen into gross sin because he's not going to remain a Christian long. It means the Lord's broke fellowship with him. And when they dealt with these people, as we have an example in Corinthians, they were told to repent, they were confronted. And if they didn't, they were put out of the fellowship. And Paul said, they're a wicked person. A Christian is never called a wicked person because he refused to repent. Therefore, wickedness lied in him, and the Holy Spirit did not fellowship with him anymore. And later on, he does repent and come back to the Lord, okay? But we need to see that what we're dealing with today is not the early church. In the early church, through most of the several decades and so forth, if you profess to be a Christian, it was not 
something to be proud of with the world. They didn't like you. They despised you. It was considered a reproach. So if you took on Christianity, you understood that. Where today, there is no reproach. Everybody appears to be a Christian, yet they live like the world and the devil. Okay? Verse 7, Therefore accept one another, just as Christ accepted us to the glory of God. So again, he's given Christ as the example. He was willing to associate and fellowship with people who meant business, who wanted to hear the truth. Those who were ready, and of course he dealt mainly mainly with the Jews at that time until the Holy Spirit came in power. And so he even fellowshiped outwardly with the Pharisees to give them opportunity to hear the gospel. He did not make them intimate friends. We are not to do that with a person that's really not a Christian or persons that's living in sin, known sin. We're not to have an accord with them. And that's the command of Christ himself. Okay. You see on the church's bulletins, we accept everybody. Well, that's wonderful if they change. But they mean they accept everybody like they are. Christ doesn't. If they do not repent, he does not accept them. The Father does not accept them. They're still his enemies. So see, there's much false gospel out there. Much believe on the Lord without repentance, without following the Lord. So it's mere mental assent and lip service. The only place that's going to get a person ultimately is the lake of fire. So they need to understand this. Okay. Accept one another, he says, as Christ accepted you. Now, how did Christ accept you? You repented and confessed Jesus. You repent, you turned about, face. You stopped in one direction from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and you turned to the Lord, and you started following him. That's what it means. There is no spiritual vacuum. You cannot be saved to live your own life. You're not your own. So you either belong to the devil's kingdom or you belong to the Lord's. There is no in-between, okay? Most people just don't know it because they're under deception. So we see we do not accept gross-setting, professing Christians or backsliders who claim that they're in Christ, who go to the gatherings. Paul and Peter said, and Jude, there were spots in your fellowship. They were corrupt. And what does the Lord say? Paul said, John, when he comes back, he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's talking about gross sinning, living a life, doing something that's unacceptable, that you're going to miss it when the Lord comes because he's not taking you. It means he don't recognize you as being his anymore. Okay? And that puts it very harshly the way it's supposed to be. Paul spent three years talking to one group, and he said, I warned you day and night with tears. He was talking about the wolves coming in and deceiving you. He said, I did not cease to warn you day and night for three years. Well, he was talking to the same people. Uh So if he was so sure of once saved, always saved, he wouldn't have to do that. Now, would he? Okay. And so we go, Paul said, and again, the injunction was, uh, as we said, that person that would not repent, they well, claimed to be Christian in the fellowship, he said, put that wicked person away from you. Okay, now it's worth going to right now. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
We'll cover several things quickly here, 9 through 13. He names several sins. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? means they will not make it. Why? Because they're not Christians. Okay? They will not get it when they die. That's what it means when they inherit. Do not be deceived. See, we got so many false shepherds more so now. He said, don't lie to yourself. Don't listen to all this garbage. I'm telling you, if you live that way, you're not going to heaven. Okay? Don't care how many times you confess Jesus. Don't care if he came every day and ate lunch with you. If you live that way, you're going to hell. That's what he's telling you. You'll not make it to kingdom. So don't be deceived. And he says, and this kind of person will not inherit heaven. Okay, what kind of person? Fornicators, this includes all kinds of sexual sins between people that are not married, okay? Idolatrous, well, he later on he names covetous, but covetous is a form of idolatry. Worshiping yourself, money, doing your own thing, being the God you want to serve. Adulterers and homosexuals and sodomites, these are all sexual perversions that he don't accept. So again, only in marriage between male and female does God sanction sex. Every other kind of sexual relationship between anybody is going to get you into hell. It's called unrighteousness. So God sets the rules, doesn't he? 10, it says, neither thieves or covetousness which the greedy and covetous are idolatrous. Drunkards, today we call them alcoholics. Well, they may have a disease. didn't start off that way. A lot of sins lead to diseases. We don't excuse it. That's what happens. The consequences in the soul and the body begins to reap from a person's sins. Okay? So the drunkard will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, revilers, extortions, trying to get money illegally out of people. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. He didn't say they might. He said they won't. Okay? Now, often people need to read this, and they don't read the tenses properly. But he said, such were some of you. Well, actually, most of them uh, that he's talking to uh, lived that life. Remember, the, all the Roman Empire was given over to idolatry and all kinds of gods and goddesses, and everybody basically served something like that. And so they were into idolatry. And he said, some such were, were you, past tense. I hear people say, we're just sinners saved by grace. If you're a sinner, you're going to hell. And grace ain't going to save you, because you have to come out from it. Uh-huh. See, they're looking for a liberty to sin, an excuse to sin. It isn't there. If you're still a sinner, you've not repented. You've not turned to the Lord. Doesn't mean we don't fail, but it means your lifestyle cannot be living gross sin and open rebellion between what you know is the Lord's commands, okay? But you were washed, okay? Baptism. Spiritually, it cleansed your spirit and soul from past sins. That's what the baptism was for. The circumcision was basically the same under the old covenant. Sin was cut off, okay? But you were sanctified. Sanctified. You were set apart, okay? But you were justified. Notice he says were, were, were. Four times he says were. He's emphasizing that was your life. 
That's not your life anymore. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Okay? And so what else does he say here? I'm going to read the next two because it's important. It's been perverted by so many lying Calvinistic people, ultra-Calvinism. All things are lawful for me. Those things just mentioned are not lawful. You do those, you will end up in the lake of fire. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Well, verse 13 tells us what he's talking about. Foods for the stomach and the stomachs for foods. That's the lawful things he's talking about. Not the gross sins he just talked about. So people will take a verse out of context and apply it anywhere they want. And that's called not rightly handling the word of truth. Okay. So again, he says, such were some of you. Okay. And we'll look at uh, verse 615. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Okay. And how can you take the members of Christ and join them with a harlot or with sin he's talking about? Okay. 17 and 18. But he is joined to the Lord as one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality, all of those sins. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his body. And again, if that body's joined with the Lord, what is that telling that person? So the true church, the body of Christ, does not accept practicing sinners who call themselves Christians. They cannot accept them nor have fellowship with them. So it's the great error today because most professing Christianity accepts anybody. They say the church is for sinners. It's for past sinners, not for present ones. Uh, again, another perversion, what they're talking about. It's for those who reform, who are living and being led by Christ. We just hear today, just love them and, and everybody's welcome and judge not in such statements which again are false words taken out of context and not used and not rightly understood. So these are false concepts and false teachers that teach it. A true fellowship of Christian is mainly for Christians. Sinners can visit and hear, but they cannot have true fellowship with those who are Christians until they repent and turn to the Lord. And they say, well, that's a hard saying. Well, Jesus told the disciples, I have many things to tell you. He said, some things are hard for you to understand. But when the Spirit comes, he'll open your understanding. The Jew had no real concept that the gospel was going to be for the Gentiles. They preached the gospel, we're going to see, only to Jews for several years. They didn't even consider it. They thought Israel was going to be restored and the Roman Empire destroyed and they were going to be the chief nation. That's why they were looking for the Messiah. Well, they were wrong. That's not going to happen until the millennium comes into play. And after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, you don't hear the apostles talk about those things anymore because they got enlightened. They understood what was going on. Okay, But until the Spirit entered them, until Jesus died and was glorified, these things cannot be shown to them. They wouldn't understand them. So Christians 
and unity and accord, we accept all true believers, babies, novices, those weak of conscience, back to 14.1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for passing judgment on his opinions. It means until his spirit's enlightened, leave him alone. Don't do certain things that his presence is upsets him. Or he may presume to do it, and he'll enter sin because it's not of faith. But he said, by yourself, you can do it. Or if you're mature Christians, there are things you can do. So he didn't say we were bound by them. It just said, love the brethren and be patient with them until they're enlightened. Now, if they're not enlightened after five and ten years, they got a, a false form of Christianity. It means they're not studying, and the Spirit's not showing them anything, so they're not growing in grace and the presence and knowledge of the Lord. So, as Christ accepted us before the Father, he intercedes for them, and as he accepted us, he prays for grace and help as the intercessor for us. He knows the weaknesses and perfections, flaws, and the failures at times that Christians do. Didn't say they live in it, okay? It's glorifying to the Father to see the love of Christ among those who are Christians. Verse 8, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision or the Jews on behalf of the truth of God that he confirmed the promises given to the fathers, okay? Before we continue on, the gospel and all of its preaching of salvation, everything was first given to the Jews. They were in the covenant, though most of them failed and were cast aside. There was a remnant. And the disciples and Paul and those, they were the elect, and all the rest were lost to the gospel. They would refuse the gospel, the Pharisees and priests rejected it, but there were some who did, and they fulfilled the word, and they started, and the Holy Spirit used them to lay the foundation of the church. They were the foundational apostles and teachers, and this went on for six, seven, eight years before we even hear of a Gentile being given the gospel, okay? And that was true. The covenant was made with them, okay? They received prophecies and promises to their fathers and patriarchs through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the prophets, and through Moses and so forth. But they were rejected at this time and as a whole because they kept breaking the covenant generation after generation, and the Lord's patience was wearing with them. They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They despised the Gentiles. They thought they were better than, but they didn't live, so they weren't better. They were worse. Romans, as we read the first chapters, he told the Jews, you think you're special? If you do the same things that you tell the Gentiles not to do, do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? It was rhetorical. No, you're not going to. Actually, you're going to fall on a greater judgment because you should know better. Okay? That's how it's going to work. So God did promise to Abraham and them that the Gentiles would eventually be brought in. So Abraham, we see, as even the apostles tell us, he's the father of the faithful, the Jew and the Gentile. 
And Jesus said, they will come from the east and the west and the south, and they will sit in the kingdom with Abraham. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. That's hell, the lake of fire. The children of the kingdom, who are they? The Jews. As a whole, they missed it. They broke the covenant. They despised. They killed the Lord of glory because they would not repent and they would not accept the truth. And so the Lord allowed the lying spirits to deceive them. And he didn't give them the truth. See, that's what comes where deception leads and sin. If a person's practicing sin, God isn't interested in knowing nothing but repentance. And if he proceeds in it, he'll be darkened further. And that's what happened to the Jews. And now he goes in verse 9, and for the Gentiles, God showed mercy. Now, see, with the Jew, he was under covenant. He had promises. He didn't have no such dealings as a whole with the Gentiles, but he chose to show mercy. And that's his prerogative. And so I'm going to read several scriptures, and these are referring to the Gentiles. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing of your name. He said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. And Isaiah, verse 12, again he says here, There shall come from the root of Jesse he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope, rule over. He's not about his kingdom, not the world's kingdom. He's going to rule over the church. And the church, the body of Christ, is going to be mainly Gentiles. And after the first many decades of destruction of Jerusalem, you don't hear of Christians going to the Jewish synagogue preaching two or three Sabbaths. See, they had their probation. After they killed Christ, they had 40 years that the apostles still tried to witness and talk to them. And Paul, being the apostle to the Gentiles, and he had a covenant to deal with the Jews, he did this. Wherever he went, if he found a Jewish synagogue, the main one, he went two or three Sabbaths and tried to convince them that Christ was the Messiah. And most of them rejected him, and a few of them came out. And those Jews that became Christians, they started fellowshipping with the Gentiles. And they started showing the Gentiles that didn't know the laws and prophets. They encouraged them, and so we could see God's wisdom in this. But as a whole, the Jew forsook the Lord and would not come to the Lord, and he warned what would happen to him. So it was God's will then to accept everybody. And Paul says, Christ broke down the wall of division. There is no Jewish and outer court uh, for the Gentiles and, and, and the women in another section. We're all one, he said, in Christ. So he didn't make a distinction anymore. Okay, And that's what Christ did. That was his plan. So after the first 70, 80 years after Christ, the gospel basically wasn't preached to the Jews anymore. If they came, they had to come the same way a Gentile come. They had to receive Christ. They weren't under any special covenant. See, they had forsaken it. And God had chosen. The elect, again, are those 
who elected to come to Christ and stay with him. Okay, So as the hundreds of years went by, it got to be fewer and fewer percentage-wise of Jews getting saved. See? So he's dealing with everybody as if they're neither a Jew nor a Gentile. So they're not in any special position. Okay, So the Jews had special promises, prophecies, and privileges, and the Gentiles as a whole weren't given that. Now, Gentiles could, individuals, become a proselyte, and even Moses talked about that, and they could be circumcised, and then they were considered Jews. But as a whole, they didn't go out to the nations. They were supposed to be a light to the nations by their holy living, and they ended up mingling with them and misrepresenting God. And this went on for generations, okay? So God showed mercy and grace for them. And the interesting thing he says was he wasn't seeking them. Well, they weren't seeking God. The Jews he gave covenants to, and they wouldn't obey him. They wouldn't seek and follow him, and they had all these privileges. He said, and yet, so he went after the Gentiles and said, they weren't even seeking me. We have that in a great feast. He invites these people. Most of them were the Jews. He was, they eat his dinner, the great king. And they all made excuses and wouldn't come. So he told his servants, go into the highway and hedges and invite everybody. That meant the Gentile. And he said, those who were first invited, they will not eat of the supper. He's telling us he was going to reject them as a whole because they were privileged and had special promises and to much is given much is required. Punishment would be greater. So Christ opened to all, and all can come through Christ Jesus. He says, preach the gospel to every creature. The word usually interpreted creature is interpreted Gentiles. You don't preach the gospel to a horse or a cow. It ain't going to do no good. Okay. Now Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Isn't that wonderful? So people say, well, but see, they don't read the whole context of scriptures or who Jesus is now. Jesus is the eternal Father. He's the Almighty God. See, he's one with the Godhead. People try to separate him. Unless that on earth he was separated into human bondage as far as his body. He couldn't be divine. He had to be human. But he was restored to his glory. And as he told the disciples, I will be in you. How could he do that? Not as a man. He had to do it as God. But he himself says in John 12, 32, we'll look at that. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Who's doing the drawing now? doesn't say the Father. Christ said, I'll do it. See why? Because when he has finished the work and gone back into heaven and his glory is restored to him, he's one. Isaiah said he is the eternal Father, the Counselor, the Prince of Peace. He's the Almighty God. So he's going to be the one of the great white throne too. People say, well, it's only going to be the Father. They have no concept of Scripture. What is the... There's only one throne. It's interesting. Anytime you speak of the throne of God, 
It's only one. It's singular. Because Christ is God, as the Holy Spirit is. They never work separately. Everything they do, they do in conjunction. The Father said, let there be light. But it was the Son who spoke it too. He said all things were created by him and for him. Who? Christ. Jesus. The resurrected one, okay? When he put his nature, his divine nature back in place, he willingly subjected himself as a man to the Father's will in this matter. So the Godhead, if you will, the Trinity, always works in everything, anything spiritual, they're all involved. The Father is the one who starts things and speaks things and knows things. And Jesus called things uh, into being like he did. And as we said, he is the eternal Father. And when Peter said it'll be enough uh, if he shows the Father, well, he's still in human form. And he said, how long have I been with you and you don't know me? Every word he spoke, every action he did by the power of the Lord, he said it was the Father speaking in him. So they didn't sort of understand this because he was limited. He took on the human nature and he could not use certain powers unless it was told him to use it. And the devil tried to get him to do it. If you're the son of God, he understood what that meant then you could create bread. Well, obviously Jesus could have done it, but he would have disobeyed the Father, and he couldn't have done that. He didn't want to do that. He had to do this as a man and overcome the temptations, which he did. Okay. So the Father is drawing, and the Spirit is drawing, and Christ is drawing people. He's given grace at all levels. There is not one person that hasn't had grace. He gives more grace at various times, and he gives less grace. He initially is no respecter of persons. means he doesn't say, I like this, I like that. But if a person honors him, he gives them more honor. And the one who dishonors him, he can dishonor them. And promises that he promised them, he can withdraw if they fall into sin and disobey him. Ezekiel says that at any time I pronounce prophecy, a word to do good, and you don't follow the Lord and you disobey, he said, I will repent of the good I intended to do to you. See, it's all conditional on you staying with the Lord. So there is no once saved, always saved. There is no fire insurance. There is no liberty to sin. These are all doctrines of devils. Okay, now this verse 13, it's a very familiar verse with most people, but they don't really look at what he's saying. Now he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, okay, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now as God has opened the door for everyone, Jew and Gentile, You Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles may have the hope of God, the God of hope through Christ filling you with his spirit, the fruit of the spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, joy and peace in believing and trusting him that the Father and Christ keep their promises to all who are in Christ. Jesus said, if you have Christ, 
You have the Father. You have the Son, okay? He keeps his promises through Christ. He fills with abounding hope, and this is by the Spirit of the Holy Spirit does this. Now, people forget this and read on. How do we have the hope of the second coming? After 2,000 years, people sort of stop hoping. But the Christian is still to hope and to pray. The Lord said that we can hasten the coming of the Lord. By people's prayers, God changes things. He can delay certain things or he can hasten under certain conditions. And he tells you to pray. The only way you can have this hope is through the power of the Holy Spirit. He has to give us hope. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a human wishing or hoping. It's inspired by the Spirit. And so the one truly starts to hope and says, I look forward to the coming. And like we've said before, he doesn't come in a second coming, which he has in 2,000 years. He's coming for you one day. Everybody's going to die. So we ought to be ready to meet the Lord. And if we're living right, it doesn't matter whether we die in the Lord or whether we're taken up. We'll be with the Lord. There will be no time to get ready. See, that's why Paul and the apostles speak of staying ready. The five foolish virgins didn't. They slept, which is a spiritual sin. They ceased obeying and getting the help of the Holy Spirit, but they started off Christians, and they got lazy, and they weren't ready when the master came. And that's why John said, keep yourself pure, for you know he's pure. And he said, and you won't be disappointed. The word there, shame, means when the Lord comes, that Christian ex-Christian, the Lord's going to look and say, he's not going with me. He's not mine anymore. And they'll be highly disappointed because they're going to be saying, Lord, Lord, and they're waiting for him to come. But they're not staying right with him. Okay, He says, you stay pure and righteous as he is. And talk about practical holiness, not some mental thing in Christ. It has to be working out of you. It's no good. Okay. So he said, you're to do that. Well, the five foolish virgins slept, and by the time they tried to get ready, it was too late. And when they went knocking at the door, the master came and said, I don't know you. He didn't say, I never knew you, like he does to most professing Christians in the world. They've never been born again. They just have mental assent. Oh, they believe Jesus died on a cross, but he ain't living in them. Oh, they believe certain scriptures, and they say, Lord, Lord. Well, the devils believe all of this. Don't save them either. Uh huh. But he said, I don't know you. He once knew them. But he's saying, I don't know you. See? Because they did not keep in the grace and faith of Christ. They did not continue in the faith and grace of the Lord. So it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to let the Christian keep hoping. And when a lot of people say, well, it's too late or 2,000 years, I said, but you're going to die even if he doesn't come. So if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to be, whether it's the rapture, the second coming or whatever, you're not ready. And you ain't going to have time to get ready. Uh-huh. See, there's no time to get ready. 
And it says when he comes the second time, he comes without salvation. He's not offering salvation. He's coming as a king and a judge. His time as high priest is basically over for man. His time as being a savior and prophet is over. He's coming as a king and a judge. And the masses will flee and want the mountains to fall on because the terror of their sins understand that God's wrath's going to be poured out on them. And there'll be no mercy. It's called the wrath of the Lamb. He's going to be the eternal judge. All judgment is committed to Christ. Okay? Verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, again, he's using that well-known term, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. Now, isn't that full of it? Now, you see, he's talking about practical goodness. You hear a lot of these mystical things. Oh, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. A guy told me that, or several people have. I said, how can you be when you were sleeping with your neighbor's wife last night? You think you're seated with Christ? Oh, you don't understand. Once they would always say, I said, you don't understand. You're going to end up like a fire and you're going to groan and misery because you're going to how stupid you were. And there's nothing you can do about it because that's what the sin's going to do for you. It's going to blind you and deceive you. And that's what it does. And they want to hear the false teachers to pacify them. Well, it ain't going to work at the day of judgment. Okay. So Paul says, I've watched you and I've seen you're full of goodness, uh-huh. filled with all knowledge and able but to admonish one another. He's saying, I've seen the maturity in many of you. Because you can't admonish people and teach them if you're not mature and don't, don't know the word. So he wasn't talking basically to babes and novices. He says, you're able to do this. And you have practical holiness and righteousness in you. Let's take a break now. <laughs> 